You're listening to sermon audio from Redeemer Georgetown. For more information about Redeemer Georgetown, connect with us on social media or check us out at www.redeemergeorgetown.com. So this morning we're in an unusual space. What I need you to know about that is that's part of church planting, and thank you for finding us here. If you have a kiddo that's making more noise, we're okay with that. We really are. We don't have the same childcare setup that we'd normally have. So it's okay if they make a little extra noise. Uh, they won't be asked to leave or anything like that. <laughs> just enjoy the noise, right? Enjoy the chaos. And uh, let's ask for the Lord just to open our hearts to understand the Scriptures. You know, there's a passage in Luke 24, verse 45, that says, Then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. I think that's just a brilliant, small little verse that gets passed over, is that God opens the mind of a person. That He allows them to hear His voice and understand what He is saying. And that's been my prayer for you all week long, is Lord, that You would open the minds of the people of Redeemer Georgetown, that they could hear Your voice, that they could understand what You were saying to them at this season of their life, this unique challenge that You're facing This season that you're in right now, God knows more about it than you do. And He knows what He wants to say to you this morning. And so that's our prayer, is that as the Word of God is being preached, you will be undistracted. You will be focused. You will be able to hear with great clarity the voice of eternity speaking to you, encouraging you, building you up, lifting you higher, giving you wisdom. Pray with me. Our Father and our God, we thank You for the chance to gather this morning, to know You, to worship You, to give our attention to You because You are worthy of our trust. You are worthy of our praise. You alone are worthy of this praise. No one else, nothing else that's been created has the spot of honor that You have as our Creator and our Redeemer. Lord, You know where we are as a group. You know where we are as individuals, as families. And God, we thank You for being so patient and good and kind. I pray that You would empower me now to preach and that You would empower Your people to listen. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. A couple years ago when I moved here, uh, it was right in the middle of an ice storm. I was like, what in the world? I thought I was leaving Chicago and coming to the place where this doesn't happen. It was bizarre. Everything died in my backyard. It was so disappointing because I had like palm trees and stuff and I, I wanted to keep those. And out of four palm trees, we have one left. Just one. And, I, and I'm praying for that one. I kind of want to keep it. I, I hope we don't get blasted again. And I'm convinced that it wasn't just the ice last year that broke all those branches off that doomed one of our trees. It was also the 108 degrees over the summer, it was somehow a double whammy. It was, it was something going on there. But ultimately, what happened to that tree was that its roots just weren't strong enough to sustain it. The roots, something hidden to me that was deep inside that tree and underneath the ground, that wasn't strong enough to withstand the cold of that winter and the heat of July and August. It just couldn't stand up to that kind of extreme. When you look at the Apostle Paul, you're looking at a man who is about to die. He knows well that he doesn't get out of this one. This is the exact same prison that Peter had been in, the Mamertine prison. And and to see it would make you gasp. 
Literally, you come into this stone old building, you come in and there's like a manhole cover, and down underneath there, that's where they would keep the prisoners. They were waiting for execution. A dark, smelly, terrifying place. That's where Paul was at as he writes this letter to Timothy. And he writes it knowing that he's only hours or days away from his death, and he's got to pass the torch on to Timothy. And the beautiful thing about what Paul has said here, and one of the most famous verses in the New Testament is found right here in this passage this morning. What he's saying is, I have lived my life, I have for 30-something years now walked closely with the Lord. Since my conversion, I have walked faithfully, and if you walk faithfully, you walk fruit, fruitfully, you walk in close proximity to the Lord. You will continue to bear fruit until the day that you die. And that's about to happen for Paul. And Paul wants that to happen for Timothy. And before we go any further, before we look at their lives, I just want you to pause. And I want you to consider your own life. And I want you to consider what others cannot see about you. I mean, we, we can greet each other and we can dress nice and we can say, how are you? And fine, how are you? And we get that. That's the place that we're in in our culture. But what does God see when He looks at you? When He metaphorically looks under the hood of your life, what does He see that's sustaining you through the cold of winter and the heat of summer? Your spiritual roots, where are they? Are they developed? Are they sinking deep into the ground where they can't be frozen and they can't be uh, made to dry up for drought's sake? They are established. These roots of your spiritual life feed you all the days of your life. Listen to what Paul says in chapter 2. He says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You then. Well, what, what is that you then? Why is it there? It's there because he's just talked about three men who are likely, all three of them, a surprise. Hermogenes, Phygelus, Guys, you would just never even begin to imagine that they would have faded away. They were so vibrant. They were so engaged in the life of the church of Ephesus. Men that you would say, these guys are rock-solid pillars of the church. These guys will always be there no matter what comes their way. And Paul says, you've heard that everybody turned away from me in Asia. All those churches that I planted... All those leaders that I trained, they didn't turn against Paul, but they turned away from him and they faded into silence as Paul goes into prison. They just faded. Even Hermogenes, even Phygelus. Guys that you just didn't think that was possible. But they did. And another guy that you didn't expect to have any staying power, a guy named Onesiphorus, well, he found me. He searched for me even in Rome. He came and found me and he searched for me earnestly and he refreshed my soul over and over again. 
May God grant him mercy on the day of judgment. The believer's judgment. May God bless that man and his family. And you know all that he did for you in Ephesus. So I think in this moment, when you see this you then, he's saying, you see these guys over here. These guys no one expected to fail, but they did to fade. And you see this guy over here, Onesimus, who no one really expected to do anything, and he did. He did all of that. You then, Timothy, stop looking at them and look back at yourself. And here's the one thing I want you to hear, Timothy. I want you to be strengthened in grace. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. See, if you're going to live out a faithful walk with God, if you're going to live out through the seasons up and down, hot and cold, a faithful walk with God, you're going to have to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened by this. Don't be strengthened by money. I mean, you know, for a little while, you kind of start feeling like, man, if I get enough money in the bank, I'm good. I'm fortified, if you want to say it that way. I'm built up. I feel safe and secure because there's just more money in the bank or the business is thriving. Okay, that is paper mache compared to the teak wood of God, if you want to say it that way. So Paul says, don't be, don't be strengthened in money. Don't be strengthened in popularity. Or don't be strengthened by if you only had some well-trained soldiers all surrounding you, you would be able to make it through the long haul. No. You're going to have to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. See, Onesiphorus' life was no mistake. It didn't happen by accident. It happened because that man was plugged into, plumbed into the life of Jesus Christ. I wonder as you sit here today and you look back at the time when God saved you, and for some of you maybe that was last month, and for some of you that was years and years ago. Would it not be true to say that through that journey you've had droughts and you've had seasons of just plenty where God was just pouring out His grace on you? And and I hope and pray that this season is one of those for you. How do you stay near the heart of God? How do you endure? If, If Paul told you, if he told me, you need to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and you said, Okay, I'm in. How would you do it? What is grace? What is the grace of God? You know, for some of you, you know exactly what it means. It is the divine enablement of God. It's God empowering you. It's not your power, it's His. God giving you grace means God enabling you to be something, to do something, to accomplish something. He empowers you by His grace. But it's also the unmerited favor of God. It's something you can't earn. It's something that was given to you from eternity past. Long before anything else existed, God made up His mind about you. That He saw you from eternity past, before there was a Garden of Eden, before there was an angelic realm, before there was a nation of Israel or a cross outside Jerusalem. God had made up His mind about you that He would set His affection on you and He would never change His mind about you knowing everything about you. 
Oh, let that settle down on you for a second. Let that narrative play in your subconscious and in your conscious mind through songs. Songs that we just sang, right? Let that truth be your new identity and it will strengthen you more than money will, more than accomplishment at work. It will strengthen you no matter where you are, no matter what your circumstances are. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. A couple, maybe it was last year, I guess it was last year with the Redeemer Network, I went to a retreat with all the pastors. It was a lot of fun. Went out to Brady, Texas. Brady was fun. Whoop, Brady, yeah, right? No, we went out there to this beautiful ranch house that the back of it overlooks this beautiful scene and this river, and it was just glorious. And Sam Storms, uh, kind of a, if you want to say, a, a, grand, a father figure to a lot of pastors in the Acts 29 network, he was there speaking to us. It's a real treat. He's a pastor of a great church in Oklahoma, and he went to the same seminary I went to, and I, I just love the man. I really love him. The first thing he said to us, and if you take notes, you're going to want to mark this one down. He said, if you want to endure, if you want to endure, then the experienced love of God has got to be regular in your life. If you want to endure, the experiential love of God has got to be a regular thing in your life. <laughs> if you don't have the experience of God's love, in your life, regularly, you're not going to make it. Now, by not going to make it, I don't mean you're not going to be saved. Maybe you're saved. Maybe you are. Maybe, maybe like Lot, who is considered by the writer of Hebrews, that righteous man whose soul was tormented every day. But listen, that guy gets nothing in eternity in the way of reward. And he's saved. His heart is just worldly. He's distracted. If you want to endure, you're going to have to have the experience of God's love regularly washing over you. Right? Because listen, without that, you're going to look for something to buoy you up. You're going to look for something to carry you along. And the problem is, you've had experiences in the past that felt so affirming that you want to run back to those things rather than run to the Lord with open hands, with a, a tear-stained face, and say to Him, say it again, remind me again that you love me, because I feel like you're mad at me, disappointed in me. I'm disappointed in myself, so how could you not be? Remind me again who I am and who you are and what Jesus has done for me? See, the most powerful voice you're listening to right now is your own. You thought I was going to say God. Listen, I wish that it was God that was the most powerful voice you're listening to. The most powerful voice you're listening to, the narratives that you're listening to, are your own. And so here's the, here's the thing I want you to hear. That narrative is sometimes got a bunch of truth and 10% of a lie, and that's why it's so powerful. And that's why you believe it. 
but the narrative of who God is and what God says about you is better, it's truer, it's more life-giving, it is right, and it supersedes every other narrative. So how does God feel about you? Listen to this verse. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. You probably know this one, Jamie. The Lord your God is in your midst. Sit on that for a second. He's in your midst. He's, he's in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? Yeah, he, he burst into spontaneous song over you. He looks at you and he loves you. He celebrates you. Now you might be thinking, hang on, hang on, wait a minute. Like, why? What? No, that doesn't seem to make sense. If you keep talking about God loving like this and God celebrating over us, does that mean that I'm just going to keep on a sinning? You know, i got a blank check now, baby, because God just loves me and God celebrates over me and God sings over me. You've missed the Gospel completely. The love of God will not lead you to rebellion. It will lead you to worship and obedience to Him. When you finally understand the Lord's love for you in Christ Jesus, it will not lead you to say, you know, man, my dad loves me so much, I wonder how I could break his heart. No guy says, man, my wife is so good to me, I wonder how I could crush her. No. God's love compels repentance. It doesn't compel rebellion. God's deep love for us in Christ, remember, in Christ we have been declared righteous. It's not just that we're forgiven. Justification means that He looks at us and legally declares us righteous. He drops the hammer, the gavel, and says, righteous. He looks at us as if we lived Jesus' life. And He looked at Jesus on the cross as if He lived ours. Let the grace that is in Christ Jesus strengthen you. Strengthen you. So that you'll be able, and by the way, Timothy 30 years later did die in Ephesus. You know how he died? Because we know Timothy is considered by some scholars as kind of a timid man. A man who needs to be put at ease. Paul told the Corinthians, put him at ease among you. He's doing the Lord's work. He tells him in this chapter, or chapter 1, he says, you know, God has not given us the spirit of timidity. Sounds like a Timothy, right? He's a timid guy. Guess how he died? He was dragged by a mob who was, he was trying to stop the mob who was in a procession to offer sacrifices to Diana. He stopped their procession and preached the gospel and they stoned him to death. So this guy, according to church history, found that root system, plugged into it, and stayed near it all his life. I want you to hear this. The Lord longs for your joy, and your joy is in Jesus. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let that feed you. Let that nourish you and sustain you. 
Because what else does he says, say here? Well, verse 2, he says, And what you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What you heard from me in a hundred different churches, a thousand different times, it wasn't secret knowledge. You need to know that the point of that is that Gnosticism, this idea of spiritual secrets that you've got Jesus, but come on, you need more than Jesus. You kind of need this special sauce that I got over here. There's stuff about angels and mysteries and all that. You got Jesus, but you got to add this. No, that's nonsense. That's a uh, apostate teaching. Come back to the gospel, the same gospel that you heard me preaching in all these churches over all these years. Take that gospel message and I want you to entrust it. If you've ever been in an Asian culture, you know that if they hand you something of value like a business card, for you to reach with one hand is very offensive. You're supposed to reach with two hands. They're giving you something of value. Take it and receive it with both hands. You know what Paul is saying here? I want you to take that message that I just preached to you about Christ and what He's done for you, and I want you to entrust it. Lay hold of it with both hands and entrust it to faithful men. Isn't that interesting? Don't, don't go out there and find just the big, tall, handsome guys with PhDs. We're not excluding those guys. But don't qualify them because of that. Don't get out there and find guys that got a lot of money. And because they got a lot of money, you know, this is your new leader. This is a guy who's popular in the community. And we kind of need his pull and his money and... And, you know, because they, you know, they've got all this pull, you know, let's find them and let's entrust the gospel to them. No, no. Find faithful men. And by extension, find faithful women. And I'll get to that in a minute. I want to speak on that. But before we get to that, let's just deal with the word faithful. I want you to find the people who show up week after week in season, out of season, they're there and they try. <laughs> Find faithful men. I don't need the handsome ones. I don't need the beautiful ones. I don't need the articulate ones. You don't need them either. You think you do. You need faithful men, faithful women. They won't be hard to spot. They just show up. Week in, Week out, they're there. Now you could probably see where this is going to rub against some of us in this room, in this culture. You love the Lord. You've been saved by grace. But you've got too busy a schedule. You'd, you'd never tell a high school football coach, I can't make it. But because your cousin's nephew's brother's got a going away party and you got to be at that. Okay, fine. Sometimes you do, but by the time you've done that, plus gotten sick once, you look flaky. You're not the guy that Timothy's looking for, right? Because you're busy. And you would have never, ever told a coach that. 
Because that coach would have parked your rear end right on the bench and never looked back. You, you made it to that. You looked right back at the church and thought, eh, I got a lot going on. I mean, I just, I got I to gotta do this, you know. Uh, maybe you did and maybe you didn't, and I think it's worth praying about. Have you looked up and just said, I just want to... I just want to be engaged. I want to be present. It doesn't mean you got to be like some, you know, Pharisee about this, but faithfulness shows up and nobody misses it. You can see it every time. Some of you know that I started a men's discipleship group and I just said to the guys, I said, look, this isn't for everybody. I understand that. If you look at this and it looks like too much, just say no now. <laughs> say, I don't want to do it. Because if you say yes, my expectation is you're coming. And you're going to be there and you're going to be faithful and we'll see. Right? Not every uh, person is going to be considered faithful. It doesn't mean they're not saved. Maybe they're saved. Maybe they're in a season that just really is the wrong season because of some other set of circumstances. Health or something like that going on and it's a season where they need to go, hey, I, I need to say no right now. I've said no to things before. The, the, the process of uh, the leadership cohort I'm doing with five other pastors, I, I told the guy no for, I want to say nine years. I said, I, it's not the right time for me. It's just not. I can't do it. I can't do it because we were going to travel four times a year to some place in the United States. And uh, I said, look, it's just not the right time for me. And it wasn't. And you know what he said to me the last time? He said, hey, you've told me this now for nine years. I just want you to know that either you're going to do this or you're not. Either you want this in your life or you're not. But the year that you say yes, it won't be convenient then either. So decide what you want to do. I mean, we didn't hang up the phone before I thought, all right, well, here we go. I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. And I just want to ask you to consider, when it comes not to Phygelus or Hermogenes or Onesiphorus or Timothy or Paul, stop looking around at any of them and look right back at your own life and say, Father, have I been faithful to you, to your church, to engage and if you need to repent, you should repent. Find faithful men and trust it to them because they're going to take this and they're going to give it away too. And that, by the way, is exactly how the gospel made its way to Georgetown. From Jerusalem all the way to Georgetown, Texas. Through somebody that just said, I'm going to be faithful to this. Why faithful men? Why didn't he just go more generic, faithful people? Ah, because the same reason Jesus chose 12 men to be apostles, Jesus honored women more than anybody in his, uh, in his generation. He looked like a standout. He looked like a freak in many ways by the way he honored women. He exalted them. The church in its early phase was filled with great women who were teachers, who were servants, who were faithful prophets, prophetesses. All of that. But they were not apostles. Women will disciple women, Titus 2 says. Men will disciple men. I will be as a pastor a discipling voice to this church. 
men and women are different in their role inside the church. They are equal in dignity and value. There is no difference in the way they inherit uh, the kingdom together. There is no difference in intelligence, value, uh, all that is there. But there is a different role for men and women. And so Paul says, you find faithful men And in Titus 2, he tells that the women, that they are to take the younger women and teach them as well the ways of God and being a wife and a mother, the ways of walking with God. You find these faithful men, they'll teach others also. Now, what are the marks? There's three particular pictures Paul gives for what this enduring Christian will look like. Alright, and Paul is very intentionally using something that will engage Your imagination, Timothy's imagination. Listen to this. He says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. You know, I was intrigued by this thought that the first picture that Paul says a faithful, enduring Christian will look like is a, a good soldier. There's probably plenty of bad soldiers out there. In fact, I called Sam this week, and I Sam's uh, enlisted. He's a officer, yeah, at uh, in uh, Fort Hood and Colleen. And I said, "Hey, I just got a question. What would happen if a guy said to you that was under your command, you know?" I, I mean, I'd love to do the 0600 training, whatever, but I've got some early morning Zoom calls in London. I need to, you know, I've started a little internet thing, a little crypto thing, and I can get you in on the ground floor if you want in on, but let's, can we push that thing to 9.45, 10 o'clock? Would that be, you good? I mean, you good with that? What, do you, what would happen to that guy? Now, I, I imagine, and this was a shocking thing for me as I thought about what you said, Sam, I thought the guy would get put in some kind of army jail right then. I didn't. I, didn't, I kind of wanted to hear him say that. Oh, I'd thump him on the head. I'd. He goes, well, there'd be a whole. That's what, that's what I would have done, Pastor. That's what Bill would have done. Our other soldier. Uh, yeah. Look, I, I thought it was going to be this abrupt thing, and you know, boom. No, there'd be a whole pulling him aside and saying, "This is not what you're here to do," and and then and then it would be another process of. We need you to get on task and we need... And you know what? You know what would happen to that guy over time? Eventually, yes, he would get uh, removed. But before that, he would get demoted. Before that, he would get passed over. He would get... He'd just be a lousy soldier while they were trying to pull him forward into being a good soldier. Christian, are you listening? Are you listening? A good soldier for Christ can get distracted by a hundred things. And God's not just going to say, ouch! He's going to plead with you from an authoritative position, come back into what you are here for. Put this aside, you're here for this. I, I could see almost saying to him, I want to try to manage it all. And him saying, I have tasks that I am assigning to people in the church that have eternal weight and glory involved in them, and you're not the person for them right now because you are not set on this task. Passed over for the opportunity to engage in something God has for you. Friends, 
Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We know this one. Many of us know this. By grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is not as, as a result of works so that anyone, anyone might boast. It is a gift of God. That God saved you by grace, not by works. You know what 2.10 says? We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that He prepared beforehand. There are works specifically made for you. A good soldier says, this is going to be suffering. I'm not going to enjoy all of this, but I am enlisted. I am brought into the fold by my commanding officer, my enlisting officer, and I want to know what his priorities are, what his agenda is. And I want to engage in that. Not be trying to work side hustles all the time. So here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you have to be a pastor or a missionary. You don't have to do that. You can be a math teacher and be a soldier for Christ in that classroom. You can be in your business situation and be a soldier for Christ. You can be, uh, you name it, some pastors... They're not doing it for Christ either. We'll get to that in a minute. But think about this. You can be God's soldier wherever you are. Whatever school you're in, whatever team you're on, whatever office you're in, whatever work situation you're in, you can be the good soldier of Christ. Ready to engage the fight. Here's what a good soldier I'm sure of will do. They will engage the fight. Now I'm going to stand back and go, what? I mean, there's... Surely somebody else that can engage the fight. No, you engage the fight. Paul said the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, divinely powerful. Well, you don't put on armor to just kind of hang out. You put on armor to go to war. Right? Listen, you're in a fight whether you like it or not. The first punch has already been thrown. Don't stand back waiting for someone else to engage the fight. The fight is yours. The fight is mine. And it's not just a, it's not a physical fight. It's a spiritual fight. And good soldiers get down on their knees and plead with God, deepen me, strengthen me in Christ so that I am ready to engage the fight of ideas and thoughts that are permeating our world right now, destroying people and trying to destroy my life. The narrative, if you will. A good soldier will engage the fight and he will stay focused. She will stay focused. No matter what pulls, no matter what distracts, I'm going to focus on what the agenda and priority of my King Jesus is. And you know what His agenda is? Get the Gospel and pour it into the people around you. Pour it into them. The Gospel is not just for the lost sinner out there. The Gospel is for the Christian also. Pour the gospel day after day into your own heart and pour it out of your heart into the others around you. Engage. Fight. Don't be afraid. Don't be silent. A good soldier doesn't get entangled. What else does it say? That an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So this is not just any athlete. This is the athlete that wins. This is the athlete that gets the crown, right? Not everybody's going to get a crown, but the one that actually does, 
is the athlete who has competed according to the rules. Apparently back then in the ancient Olympics, there was a commitment that every athlete had to sign on to for 10 months of training. And that before they could compete, they had to go before a statue of Zeus and swear that they had competed or they had trained uh, with this rigorous, rigorous set of rules and diet for 10 months so that they could compete now by these rules. So it wasn't just the event itself, it was the training. And this athlete wants to be crowned. They're not there just to get a participation trophy. They want the number one spot. So this is really someone who is fighting for that gold medal, if you want to say it that way. Have you ever thought about that as a Christian? I mean, is it enough to just go to heaven? I mean, is that the goal? Is that when you, when you die, you take your last breath, you're not going to go to hell. You're not going to go into the flames, whatever that looks like, you're going to go to heaven. And really, really, that ought to be enough. Friends, that's not the goal. The goal is not just that you escape hell. The goal is to enjoy and serve God. You're going to do that for all of eternity. Why not start now? Why not build into the kingdom of God where you sit? And then just continue that for all of eternity. Look, streets of gold and mansions and all of that, it's going to be awesome. I even think we might even get to fly. I'm, I'm really, man, I'm hoping for that one. I want that one. And I think that would be fun. Um, you know, the real goal is that when you walk from your parking spot to the store, before, from once you got out of the car of your, you know, the door of your car, before you get to the door of the store, that you have shared a few words of praise to the Lord. God, I'm so glad that I'm not alone in this world. I'm so glad that you are with me. I, I, I want to deepen my affection for you every day. See, this is part of the focus that he spoke about with the soldier. It is also part of the training that comes to us as Christians who are athletes who want to win the crown. We're not interested in just going to heaven. We're interested in Him. Knowing Him, walking with Him, loving Him, serving Him. And he says these athletes that are fighting for more than just to get there, they're fighting to win, they haven't cut the corners. They haven't cheated. I'm sure you don't know the name. I doubt many people would know the name. Rosie Ruiz. You guys ever heard that name? It's a fascinating story. In 1980, Rosie Ruiz won the Boston Marathon. <laughs> and it was the most bizarre thing because she wasn't really a runner. She won thousands of dollars that day. She showed up at the finish line fresh as a daisy. Uh, panting but not sweating as she crossed the finish line in record time. And they said to her, how'd you do it? Oh, I just gave it my all. Okay, but what was your training regimen? I don't know, I just ran hard. This woman had cheated. She'd gotten on a bus and skipped most of the marathon and crossed the finish line. A complete cheater. <laughs> like... As it turns out, once you find out about Rosie Riz, there's tons of marathon cheaters before GPS became a thing, you know, all these people. And I just want to say, when they put that medal around your neck, and you knew that you had cheated, didn't you feel a little bit of shame? Like, I mean, you won, 
but you cheated. Okay, the Christian who stands in front of the Lord to receive not a perishable crown, but an eternal crown, lived their life in front of Him honestly, openly, grinding out their faithful walk with God. No shortcuts, no cheating, just walking forward faithfully daily. And they will receive on that day one of several crowns. I want you to hear this. I was really taken by this statement. John MacArthur, who often gets so many things right, I just love his research, but listen to what he says. Paul emphasizes in this passage the wreath, it's called the Stephanos, for which the Greek athletes were competing. It was perishable. But the one that the Christian competes for is imperishable. It is the crown of righteousness, which the Lord will give the righteous Uh, He will award to Paul on that day, and not only to me, but also to those who love His appearing. This is a crown that is mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 4, but also the unfading crown of glory, a different kind of crown, we will receive when the chief shepherd himself appears. This is a crown that goes to elders. And then there is a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. And this... Paul tells us, in, uh, is in, uh, pardon me, James tells us about that crown in James chapter 1, and it says also on Revel- in Revelation chapter 2, on the day when the elders, the 24 elders, will fall down before Jesus who sits on the throne, they will worship Him who lives forever, and they will cast their crowns down before Him. So, apparently, these various crowns that you compete for and you should compete for, when you get to heaven and you are given your stewardship reward, God is going to take something of a crown of life, a crown of uh, endurance, and He's going to place it on your head and it's going to be the most glorious, beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life. It'll be so valuable to you that everything else will look like it was just candy wrappers in the past. And it will be so valuable that when you see Jesus wanting to express your love and gratitude, you'll take the thing that matters most to you, the thing that is most beautiful that's been given to you, that crown, and you will say, this is the greatest thing I've got. May I worship you with it. I had a man in my church in Sherman, Texas, who was dying of cancer. And he said, on his deathbed, he said, Robert, I've lived my whole life antagonistic to pretty much any leadership in my life. My dad's leadership, my boss's leadership. He was a coach at a, in Sherman, taught English. So I just rebelled. He said, and I rebelled against your leadership as my pastor. He said, I just found critique, often the place I found into. And he said, I want to live. And I said, yeah, I will pray that the Lord will grant you that. No, I want to live because I want to live long enough to not maybe earn a crown in front of the Lord, but I want to earn at least one jewel that I can maybe sit down in front of Him. I just want something that I can lay down in front of the Lord. I think he understood this passage. I don't know how you view your life. I want you to compete for something better than a paycheck. Compete for something better than the praise of men. 
compete for the glory of Jesus Christ. That you might worship Him in heaven by laying down a crown in front of Him. What a joy it would be to worship Him like that. I don't know if you know this. Queen Elizabeth said she really hoped that she'd live long enough to see Jesus come back because she wanted to take the crown of England and lay it at His feet. She regretted that she didn't get the chance to do that. And I thought, wow. I always liked her. I don't think that's how it works, but I like that sentiment, right? There's something so rich and joy-giving about saying, Father, it's not me. It's not me and my strength and my wits and my charm and all that that's going to earn this crown. It's the life of Christ in me. Do you want to live out of faithfulness in me as a soldier, as an athlete that is new to me? Show me how. Show me how. Listen to this also. It's not just the soldier and the athlete, it's also the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Hard-working farmer. Again, I would imagine there's plenty of lazy farmers. <laughs> Their families are always hungry. What a terrible contrast, right? I mean, farmer ought to know over time and experience that this isn't going to happen all at once. I'm going to prepare soil that is our soil. I have a right to farm on it. I'm going to prepare that soil, removing rocks, removing whatever, treat that soil, and once it's treated, I'm going to take seed and I'm going to put seed in that soil. Then I'm going to water that and I'm going to pray for rain. But not too much rain. Too much rain would be a bad thing, but enough rain. And then I'm going to wait. Can you see this? So much is not in the farmer's control. The heat, the rain, all of that. But so much is in their control. And if they are a hard-working farmer, they're going to do their part when it's their time to do it, and then they're going to pray and they're going to wait. Christian, there are so many things in your life that are just not in your control. You really have no way to affect change in your life, in your kid's life, in your friend's life, you really can't make them change their mind. I can't make you change your mind. But there are so many things in your control. There are things that you need to do if you're going to be a hardworking farmer. There are things in the soil of your soul that must be uprooted. There's rocks there. There's other plants that need to be pulled out. There's things in your life. There are relationships that all they do is make you worldly. Every time you're around certain people, all they do is make you more focused on what you don't have and what you're discontent by and what somebody else is failing at. And it's just a real drag on your spiritual life. Uproot that. There are things that you have open doors to in your life that need to be shut and bolted. And you probably already have a sense of what they are. There are certain TV shows, there are certain websites, there are certain things that you go, this is not good, right, or holy. God, uproot this in my life. Uproot this. Don't dwell with it. Pull it up. You can do that. And the Word of God is seed 
And the Word of God you can get through reading the Bible and from attending a church just like this one that will go verse by verse, left to right through a book and tell you the Word of God. And sometimes you'll leave here limping, feeling like, ah, God, that, that one stung. And sometimes you leave just going, praise God, I'm so grateful for that. Stay in it. Stay in gospel community where you can hear your gospel community leaders say, this is what God was saying to me. What did you hear? Let's pray about that together. And, and believe me, there are churches all over the landscape right now that don't believe the Bible anymore, don't preach the Bible. All of their sermons are something about having an impact, being fulfilled, making a difference. Come on, preach the Word. Preach the Gospel. Trust me, this impact thing and making a difference thing, it comes in the wake of that. Preach it. We'll get to that sermon in a little bit. But listen to me. This is the seed that is the Word of God. Your heart is that soil. Listen to this from Matthew chapter 13. When Jesus speaking of the parable of the sower, He said this, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the words of the kingdom and does not understand it. Here's what's happening. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. So you hear a sermon. You're not sure what that meant. And rather than engaging, Satan just comes and he snatches that truth like a seed. He grabs hold of it and he steals it away. This is what has been sown along the path. As for what has been sown in the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the Word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And then when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the Word, immediately he fails away. So they take in the Word, they listen to it, and they go, man, that is right, oh, that is solid. I'm so encouraged. And then something comes along in your life that challenges it. Something comes along to distract and pull away from that. And you find yourself saying, all that joy and all that excitement has just vanished. It's gone. Persecution. Someone looks at you and goes, oh, you believe that, huh? You believe the Bible. You believe in these historical truths, these orthodox things. Well, hmm. And then you find yourself shifting away from that truth. He has no root in himself and does not endure. As for what has been sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfaithful, unfruitful. The cares of the world, and this is interesting, the deceitfulness of riches. Just busy. Cares of the world. So much going on. And the deceitfulness that riches will somehow satisfy and make everything okay. That's a lie. It won't. It won't do that. And it chokes out what was growing in your life, in your soul. The truth that God was developing in you. As for the, uh, what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, another sixty, and another 30. <laughs> That's what we just, we just want that for us. 
That's what Paul wanted for Timothy. It's what I want in my life. It's what I want for you, is that the Word of God would go into your life and it won't all happen overnight. But it will happen. It will happen. In Illinois, when we would see these massive grains of corn, that would just these stalks of corn that were just like six, seven, eight feet tall, every August, you'd know that when you saw them going into the ground, you remembered back when they were just little bitty sprigs and somehow the magic happens. The magic happens that that little seed, over time in that good soil with the rain and with the water, it's going to grow very tall and it won't produce one more. It'll produce thousands more. Christian friends, hear this. It won't happen overnight. But you keep taking the Word of God into your life, into your soul. God will saturate you with His Spirit. He will encourage life in you. And your life will become a blessing a hundredfold to your neighbors, to your family, to your kids and your grandkids, to Georgetown as a community. And what does Paul say? Think these things over and the Lord will give you understanding. He invites Timothy into meditation. Take some time and think about this. Don't just let it go. Ponder on it. Meditate on it. And God will give you understanding. So one of the things that I always invite you into, and I'm, if you're here new this morning, I want to say that I'm so glad you're here. This is great. You found us in a strange location. If, if you've been a few times, you know what's coming, right? You know what I'm about to invite everybody to. It's called Gospel Community. We worship together as a group. This is a monologue, but you are invited into a dialogue where you'll have a sit-down time in someone's home. And I know that feels weird, but trust me, nobody's going to teach you a private handshake or light a fire and say, learn the sacred dance. We're not doing that. We're going to sit down and we're going to talk about the Word of God, what it says, how God spoke to us. I hope they're not doing that in the other GCs. If they're doing it, they didn't tell me that. Your gospel community leaders listening to the sermon in a different way this morning. He's thinking, how, he and she are thinking, how do I bring a discussion about on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night so that we can talk about the Word of God and let it go deep, deep, deep into our souls? That God might bear fruit in my life. That the generation of believers that started in Jerusalem wouldn't end with me. I don't want to be the last link in that chain. I want it to go on and on and on. Well, that won't happen by accident. You must be strengthened in grace that is in Christ Jesus. And this is what it looks like. Pray with me. For more information about Redeemer Georgetown, connect with us on social media or check us out at www.redeemergeorgetown.com.